0: The great outdoors is a place of enjoyment, peace, and solitude. But at times, the outdoors experience goes dark. Increasingly, outdoors lovers are encountering criminal elements, psychos, dangerous wildlife, and strange weather occurrences. Our goal is to raise awareness by equipping you with cutting-edge information and to shine light into the dark outdoors. Welcome to the program. This is Chester Moore, and um, when I you know, get into the month of October, you know, I start watching creepy movies and thinking about things that are a little bit more scary from being a big Halloween fan since I was a kid. And of course, that translates to nature. And when I think of creepy nature stuff, I think of my good friend Lyle Blackburn. He, of course, is the main man of the band Ghoultown. town you might know him from that but he is a cryptozoological researcher and author of books like uh the beast of boggy creek texas bigfoot and lizard man a bunch of other cool stuff and right now you won't be able to see this because this is audio only but i am wearing a famous monsters of filmland shirt and he is wearing a mummy shirt so i mean it's like cut from
1: the same cloth here welcome to the program wow hey man thanks for having me i always love to talk monsters with you
0: yeah, it's always cool stuff. We always end up going, oh, I didn't know that, you know. But, um, you know, of course, you are so tied into uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek, which we get an incredible transfer, new release, 50th anniversary this year. On You're doing the commentary on that, which I'm really excited about. Should be getting my copy here in a day or two. But that landmark docudrama um, – got a lot of us into this stuff. And I think one of the things as a boy from the South here that really attracted me was the fact it seemed like there was aggressive nature to the Falk Monster, where you would hear about like Pacific Northwest Bigfoot reports and it was almost like Kumbaya. And then in the South over here, they're like listening to Black Sabbath and wanting to kill you or something. you know, you got these ideas from, you know, the the stuff from Legend of Boggy Creek. But when you dug into it as a true journalist, which you are, And got eyewitness, you know, first, secondhand reports from eyewitnesses and people that were on the ground. Were there actually any, like, aggressive encounters that stood out to you?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, there were. And, you know, a a lot of the reputation for the Southern Sasquatch was heavily built on the legend of Boggy Creek. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, down, down here, you know, we first heard the stories of Bigfoot and it was Pacific Northwest, you know, and until really until, you know, 1972, 73, when the legend of Boggy Creek was circulating, did people realize that, you know, there's Bigfoot like creatures in the South, you know, Mm -hmm. even though there's scattered newspaper reports. And it's, it, it is a case where it's like, just Bigfoot creature sightings in general, where a lot of them are just very brief and uh, fleeting glimpses of this creature, you know, running mm. across the road or, uh, you know, a hunter might see it for a few moments, that sort of thing. Uh, but just like the movie plays up in in many of those encounters, there are some that the creature, you know, w- was displaying aggressive tendencies. Mm. And the most famous of that is the climactic scene of the movie the where the Ford and Taylor families mm-hmm. moved to Falk and something began creeping around on the porch. And that sort of culminated with Bobby Ford fighting with this creature and and getting taken to the hospital. And, uh, you know, that that's pretty much what happened. I mean, what's this mm-hmm. what's in the movie is is very much played up and somewhat sensationalized. But those were all true reports. Wow. So the
0: guy uh, actually ended up hospitalized
1: yeah, they took Bobby to the Texarkana hospital. And that's when the story actually got out and the news became aware of this because there had been previous reports. Um, And so, you know, among these reports um, that were sort of part of the movie that were the aggressive attacks. And then I found through my research when I was writing The Beast of Boggy Creek and working on the book, trying to chronicle you know the the whole of the history all of the sightings mm-hmm. and the making mm-hmm. of the movie i i came across some witnesses that said they had had aggressive encounters um and there was a uh a hunter who he and his friend were down there in the woods sometime this was after the movie had already come out and stuff and they they started hearing something moving around in the woods and then then heard like some really blood-curdling howls and screams and then whatever this thing was was bluff charging Mm. and stomping around it never quite came out into the open but they could see it enough to know this was no ordinary animal and even though they were armed they they said it was just too frightening and they got the heck out of there um and and then over the years you know other people had reported things there was a family down there who lived in the area who owned some land where boggy creek actually ran across it Mm
2: -hmm.
1: the uh the the son told me that they had what they called a monster blocker that they put across the door i love it you know and, and to protect themselves from this thing because they uh, you know we had to come around the house a few times and they actually were fearful enough that the father felt they needed protection so you know I even talked to the to the father as well and this this was just sort of the the uh, mindset going on because of some of those aggressive encounters and stuff to where people were those that put stock into this or or it had, had sightings or their family members had had sightings enough to where they You know, they were fearful of this thing.
0: Very interesting. And that brings back a 70s kid moment there that just flashed before me, watching in search of Leonard Nimoy, Honey Island Swamp Monster, Harlan Ford saying, we put a nylon rope on the door. And, I, and I'm thinking, this guy's in, in Boggy Creek. They got monster blockers uh, a whole lot better. I always thought a nylon rope. That's not too good, you know. But um, So in other words, the, the ideology, the mindset of the people there was, hey, they're real friends of ours, people. we hearing these reports. And then when something happened to them, they had these strong reactions like, we're going to make a monster blocker or going to not go out at night. And there seemed to be a real sense of fear among some of the people.
1: Yeah, certainly. And I mean, they back in the 60s, before this was sort of made public, they mm-hmm. organized hunts for the monster. I mean, you know, this is the South, you know, some something out there threatening our our families or friends. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get the shotguns and get some lights and head off and look for this thing. And that's exactly what they did. And and uh, Smoky Crabtree, which is oh, yeah, uh, was a, a friend of both of ours. Um yeah. Or he passed away you know he was involved in that his son had a sighting back in the mid-60s and mm-hmm. you know th- this was going on so there was active pursuits to hunt it down um, and a lot of this of course was played up in the movie but that that came you know the director charles Pierce didn't have to make anything up he just mm-hmm. based it on the things that were happening and i think that's part of the the
0: realism of the legend of boggy creek is a lot of the people are actually the people you know or you know or people from the local town that they just hey you want to be in this scene that kind of thing you know and uh and later in the program we'll have uh, pamela pierce barcelo on talking about the new release of it of course you're doing the commentary track right on the 4k release of legend of boggy creek and before we switch into other crazy southern cryptids uh as someone who's you know knows that movie had a big impact on my life at how how crazy is it that you're doing the commentary track on a release of this
1: yeah. i mean dude it's it's so surreal that know. you know you and i feel the same way about that movie and just to be remotely involved in what what is sort of the ongoing continuation of the legend because that that movie never it didn't start with the movie and it didn't end with the movie and it's Mm -hmm. continued on. So, yeah, I mean, just, just this whole thing of of being having the honor of doing the commentary or, or just at this point, having enough knowledge to where I can just speak for the entire length of the movie and add all these facts and trivia is, is just mind blowing. And it's, it's just cool to be a part of it. Well, I'm happy for you, brother. That's really cool. And, but no, one of the the cryptids. And if you're
0: listening to the program, you go, "What in the green heck is a cryptid?" It's a animal of cryptozoology, an animal that is not proven yet to science. And um, you know that could range from the Bigfoot type creatures to the Loch Ness monster or Mokalean Bembe in the Congo or whatever. And I remember when I was a kid reading the Lauren Coleman book, and it mentioned Momo, and I remember seeing a drawing in some book of this weird looking thing with a bunch of, almost like a fro. I mean, it had a crazy haircut. You know what I mean? I was like, what the heck is that thing? But you wrote a book about Momo, which is kind of a creature linked to Missouri. Can you talk about that and maybe any uh, standout
1: encounters or accounts that you learned about Momo? Well, Momo is another one of those. It's sort of a vintage 1970s monster case and it, it, that it was going on kind of at the same time as the initial newspaper reports, uh, surfaced about the fat monster and Mm -hmm. Momo, uh, is a newspaper name for the creature and it's short Mm -hmm. for Missouri monster. So Mm M-O for Missouri and Mm -hmm. M-O for monster, even though it does sound a little bit fuzzy and cuddly. However, the, the creature reported was far from, was far from cuddly. Um, a couple of the initial reports, which are two of kind of the most dynamic, um, mm-hmm. the first one that made the newspapers, uh, it was seen in the backyard by some kids, um, one of them being a the, the teenage daughter of this family who saw this thing in daylight approach mm-hmm. come out. Uh, they live sort of in this area called Marzoff Hill, which just their house backed up to this Forested hill, basically. And this thing came out of the woods. It had uh it, it was standing upright, maybe six to seven feet tall, covered in hair. It was mm-hmm. um it had hair that hung down over its face, which was a peculiar peculiar aspect, but it was holding what they believed mm-hmm. was a dead dog, and it had blood on it, and mm-hmm. I mean you know, you see something like that, it freaks you out. So they called their father who came home and set off sort of an investigation prior to that a year before, which is a sighting that came out later. It some two, two women were on a road trip and stopped off at this little scenic turnout where you had had a picnic table and they were eating when this smelly, hairy thing Mm -hmm. came out of the woods and sort of, ran them off basically and then proceeded to Mm. eat their lunch as they were trying to get the car started so just like (laughs) out of a monster movie but this is just another iteration of what i i would consider a bigfoot-like creature yeah Uh, for all intents and purposes it's upright humanoid and hairy Mm. yet uh, these cases have a little bit of personality, which is what I like. You know, Momo has the hair over the eyes and the face. Mm-hmm. and had a bigger, like, pumpkin-sized head, they said. Mm-hmm. You know, the Boggy Creek monster. It gives some personality to what would just generally be ubiquitous Bigfoots. Um, but it seems like in the South, or at least Missouri, and um, all across, you know, these areas, you have these sort of more aggressive and freaky versions of Bigfoot.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. and I think you and I approach this the same way that, you know, we certainly have our opinions based on what we've researched. But put the info out there and let people make their own mind up about this stuff, you know. And I think that's the key. No agenda other than, hey, this is fun stuff. It's very interesting. And um, what I tell people, though, is it only takes one eyewitness report to be correct for there to be something out there.
1: Yeah 100%. I mean you if you you if you could explain away 99% of them and you know you can chalk some of these up to misidentification wishful sure. thinking but there are that certain core of witnesses that they're believable, they're credible and you just simply don't have an explanation for what they saw and if they mm-hmm. did see a bigfoot or a lake monster or a lizard man whatever mm-hmm. it is that's enough that that, you know, that thing exists in some form or another.
0: Okay. Well, I'll tell you one that's the weirdest I think you've uh, gotten involved in and uh, almost has a true horror sci-fi element is the Lizard Man. Uh, and can you give our people are listening out there. Now we're really going crazy. We're talking about Lizard Men. Well, it's coming from a guy speaking who has a creature from the Black Lagoon tattoo on his chest. I mean, I, I'm into Lizard Man here, so... Wow! Well, tell us what the lizard man uh, report
1: was all. I remember when this hit the news; it was a big national news story. Yeah, it got a lot of press, and I mean, for me, what attracted me to it was that kind of modern day creature from the Black Lagoon That's vibe. Right. Yeah, and essentially, um, starting in 1988, citizens mm-hmm. in and around the small town of Bisherville, South Carolina, mm-hmm. began to report sightings and very scary encounters with something they called the lizard man. And -hmm. it was described as being a humanoid uh, thing that, that had scaly skin that was either brownish or green. It walked upright. It had hands that had three fingers and had claws and Mm -hmm. uh, feet that had three toes. And it was very monstrous. And it was seen in and around this area of scape or swamp, Mm-hmm. which is sort of outside of this small town of Bishopville. And one of the, I guess, the most sensational and dramatic encounters involved this young man by the name of Christopher Davis, who mm-hmm. said that he was coming home from his fast food job in Bishopville late one night, 2 a.m., and he had to pass through or Swamp, where he unfortunately had a flat tire. And about the time he was done changing that, and, you know, putting the tire and the jack back in the trunk there in the moonlight, he saw this human humanoid figure coming at him through the fennel grass. And at first he thought it was a person, which would be scary enough. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. out there alone and you see a person approaching. Uh, but as I got closer, he said that he could tell that it was not a person, but some type of creature or humanoid thing where he described it as having the scaly skin and all that. Well, he jumped in his car and, you know, started taking off. And this thing tried to get in and, you know, get through the driver's side window. And he managed to outrun it. Well, this kid came in uh, to the Lee County Sheriff's Office uh, where he met with Sheriff Truesdale, who was the sheriff at the time, and told him all of this and that ended up getting in the news and it wasn't the first time that the sheriff's office had heard tale of this lizard man but this was really something where i mean now they're taking interest obviously and then that just basically turned into this literally a media frenzy around the lizard man other people began to come forward and say they had seen it prior to that even a couple of years prior and then people subsequently had sightings as well so yeah like you said it turned into this crazy media thing i mean it was just everywhere uh good morning america was doing broadcast down there people mm-hmm. News, people magazine covered it and sheriff truesdale uh the the sheriff at the time he was you know interviewed quite a number of times and heavily involved in in the case
0: mm-hmm now you spent time with Sheriff Truesdale and got a lot of the info for your book from, you know, on the ground down there. Um, and from a law enforcement perspective, how did he see it being a lawman? What was his lawman hat? What did it tell him about the lizard man phenomenon?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really unusual that we have a cryptid case where the authorities, you know, take any sort of interest in that, especially what the way he did. And, the way he felt about it is that he felt that there was enough credibility in what people were reporting that something was going on. And he mm-hmm. felt like if he didn't pursue and try to investigate it and figure it out, if somebody were to end up getting killed, whether that was from a quote unquote, lizard man or a, a rogue bear or yeah. you know, somebody playing a prank, people were going to come back to him and say why didn't you look into this so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: he felt compelled to do that and then as he began to interview the witnesses um you know he they they gave christopher davis a a lie detector test um he took written statements from other people and some some of the witnesses had been people he had known in that community for years
2: Hmm. so
1: he he looked into it um in a very methodical way and documented that, and I had access to all of his files, which was amazing, he had taken That's all the cool. photos, and the, I mean, I've got handwritten witness testimonies, um, of people that, that claim to see it, so that was, that was cool, and I think as he, over time, you know, he, he's, you know, he's no longer with us, but I felt he, he really wanted to prove that thing one way or another, because he, you know, he felt, um, that that he he never could quite um, you know become justified in his investigation and all okay. that. But, uh, you know, it, it did remain an unsolved mystery, but certainly one that was very unusual in that it was heavily investigated by police. Well, the point of doing this program, it's close to
0: Halloween when this is airing, and uh, we like to get these creepy campfire tales out there. But I wanted someone who, you know, you, you thoroughly go and investigate and get these eyewitness accounts, talk to law enforcement and all of that. But something you and I spoke of before, you have a book called Sinister Swamps, which I love that book. It just got a lot of crazy, wild, all kind of stuff in it. And there's something that you and I talked about where there was some dolls put up. In a swamp, and honestly, I'd rather run into the lizard man than see these crazy dolls out in the swamp. Man, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Right, yeah. I mean, there's certain stuff that that is just has so much strangeness and eeriness to it that you do not want to see that. And you know, the genesis of the swamp book kind of came out of all of this, where I I was noticing that a lot of these major monster cases were usually associated with swampy areas like Mm -hmm. the Boggy Creek, Mercer Bayou area, skateboard swamp. Um, So then I kind of looked at more of the geography and, okay, you have these swamps. Well, what is the manner of paranormal reports coming out of there? And so I I concluded whatever was on record. And this was a swamp in Alabama where uh, it, it had, there was news reports where, some people had noticed there was these dolls on display, a number of these very creepy, scary looking dolls that have been put out there. And so it's, it's striking looking. And then of course that's going to, to end up with conjecture about why they're there. Is there witchcraft going on? Is there a yeah. cult? Um, the police mm-hmm. were looking into it. It's and, Abigail. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Abigail. <referenced>. Yes. <laughs> Harry Abigail. Um <laughs> You know, so yeah, it was very creepy. And I mean, there was a picture, there was pictures in this case, and things like that, where you've got a swamp environment. I mean, it's it's full on like Scooby Doo vibe. You know, it's all the haunted houses are always next to the swamp, and then in the swamp, you know, they would find creepy stuff. And this is real life stuff. Again, they never was there was no way to solve it or figure out who did it, but it was super creepy.
0: Yeah. I had to throw that one out there because that's one of the ones, although it wasn't like you'd feel like life threatened. If you saw it, maybe you would get the heebie jeebies, you know, you're out the swamp in the middle of the night and there's a bunch of these creepy porcelain dolls out there looking at you, you know, but uh, there's always something out there and something to keep us interested in intriguing. And at the end of the day, this stuff gets people interested in nature, you know, and that's one of the reasons I will occasionally talk about this on the program because it gets people interested in nature out there. And, um, that's always a good thing and it's fun. So, in all of your books, all of your research and, and talking with people, is there one report of anything, no matter what it is, that you know you went, Oh my God, that's scary? You ever had one where you just went, mm, That creeps me out?
1: <laughs> well, there, there's quite a number of those, and mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're the ones that stick with you, especially if there's a credible witness telling you this
0: mm-hmm. yeah oh, yeah
1: that 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 is the thing and and you, we got to stress that people think oh this sounds all wild and you know you think crazy people are reporting this and stuff but honestly i've, I've run into some very what you would call your next door neighbor very mm-hmm. credible well-spoken intelligent people who've seen stuff you know that they they would have never imagined seeing that they see and, and their whole idea changes um just off the top of my head, and since we're in Texas, mm-hmm. I talked to a guy um, about a year ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this all came from investigating this other unrelated case down in Teague, Texas, the Fairfield area. And uh, he contacted me, said, well, this, I don't know if this relates, but I'll tell you, um, I was down with a friend. Fishing on the Brazos River, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and you know it was just starting to get dusk, Mm -hmm. and we were you know thinking about heading out when we heard sort of this splashing in the water. They said it it, as it got closer. They 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 could tell it was something walking like footsteps. Mm -hmm. And they thought, well, there's there's a fisherman or somebody. There's this idiot's just splashing and walking in the water. Well, they. You know, they put their flashlights over there. It was enough, you know, still enough light, but they could see pretty well. And they said around uh, the corner of some trees, here comes this upright walking. This wasn't even like a lizard man. This was basically like a alligator type creature of some sort walking upright on two legs and walking Mm -hmm. right directly for them. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: <He> said, <"Yeah." laughs> a, you, know, you know, know they're not hunting so they weren't sitting there hard yeah 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 he said dude we we just turned and cranked up that boat and just got the heck out of there he said it was the scariest weirdest most frightening thing that he's ever seen he's never seen anything like it before or mm-hmm. since I talked to this dude for a while and I'm telling you this, this is just your average kind of your Texas hunter fisherman guy. Yeah. He didn't, you know, to to my best ability, a very credible story. He didn't really have any purpose to tell it other than he just thought I would listen and not laugh it off. Man, Dude, I remember this, the, the hair on the back of my neck was standing up and this guy was telling me this. I'm thinking, that doesn't fit a Bigfoot. It's not even like the lizard man. That other this thing was like a prehistoric thing with teeth, walking like it shouldn't, coming at you in the dusk. It's, you know, just super scary, dude. That's a great way to
0: end our time together here. And uh, yeah, that's kind of creepy. That's the kind of thing we're out fishing at night. I'll probably think of when I'm out running trot lines or something, and you hear something, I'll be like, "What was that?" Uh, so Lyle, a lot of great work, I mean, you got the Texas Bigfoot book out. I mean, you have a lot of stuff. You're always doing TV video projects. And of course you have the commentary track on the 50th anniversary, uh, release of the legend of Boggy Creek. And how can people connect with Lyle Blackburn?
1: Well, the best way to find information about all my projects is to visit Lyle and, Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and my books are available on Amazon as well. But uh, yeah, just hit LyleBlackburn.com and that'll give you the uh, links and info you need.
0: i tell you what, guys, if you're listening to this and you're into any of this kind of stuff, you need to check out Lyle's work. He's an incredible author and not just in detailing accounts. He's also a great storyteller, which uh, makes it an entertaining read as well. Anyway, man, thank you, brother, for being on the program.
1: Absolutely. Enjoy it.
0: The Legend of Boggy Creek is back. The iconic nature docudrama celebrates its 50th anniversary in a brand new, remastered, 4K Ultra HD format. Director Charles B. Pierce's original vision for this film can be seen for the first time in many years. It also includes great extras, including outtakes from the original filming and an in-depth commentary by author and researcher Lyle Blackburn. This family film is G-rated, but still packs a powerfully spooky punch and inspired generations of researchers to probe just what is out there in the swamps of southwestern Arkansas and beyond. Go to legendofboggycreek.com to order this incredible release. I'm Chester Moore, and I'm proud to say Dark Outdoors is brought to you the legend of Boggy Creek. You know, if anyone's listened to this program for a while, you know my interest in uh, mysterious wildlife and what can be called cryptozoology. And that just goes back to growing up in the late 70s and early 80s. And that stuff was always out there in the form of programs like In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy and different things. And then as a little boy, I had two different things that really set that into a passion. That was seeing what a lot of you would know as the Patterson Gimlin film footage and uh, the stills of it, in a copy of Argosy magazine, the old men's magazine my dad had, and then seeing a movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek. It is a docudrama; it's kind of what I call it, um, based on some Bigfoot-related events in Falk, Arkansas. And what happened with me is my dad had went and seen it with my mom, like the drive-in, and I was I was I was like a I was a baby, you know. And then a few years later, I kept hearing about it and I was getting rolled into surgery at Texas Children's Hospital. I told me you got 30 minutes of surgery and they had cable TV in like 1979, whenever that was. And The Legend of Boggy Creek started playing. And I got all the way up to the famous scene where the girls are in the trailer and the creatures are out haunting them. And I was hooked. And the 50th anniversary The Legend of Boggy Creek is about to be celebrated in a very, very awesome way. And it's my great honor and privilege to have Pamela Pierce-Barcelo on the program. She is the daughter of the director, guru, everything of The Legend of Boggy Creek. Welcome to the program.
3: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Chester. I enjoy um, talking anything Boggy Creek.
0: Yeah, it's always fun. So let's just, we'll talk about the Blu-ray and all of that in a second. Let's just need to set up your dad, Charles Pierce. How did he decide to go down to Falk, Arkansas and start filming this stuff?
3: So my dad started in advertising. Uh, he mm-hmm. had a little advertising agency in Texarkana, Texas, and he had been making commercials, but mm-hmm. He had a big imagination and had decided that he, he could really do a film himself. Mm -hmm. So he's been working on that. He had a kind of Western, if you know his body of work, Mm -hmm. loved Westerns. So he was working on a script, I guess, for a Western type adventure called Bright River. And he and Earl Smith, who was a writer, he, they did most of their writing together, had gone out to Los Angeles to do uh, pre-production work and they were driving down Sunset Boulevard and they see these teenagers wearing Falk Monster Mm t-shirts and he said pull over Earl we got to talk to them he jumps out and by the time he's getting back into the car he says Earl we're making the wrong movie we got to go home so they went back I don't know how much you know about the history of mm-hmm. the Falk monster and the sightings there mm-hmm. but um they had been going on quite a while and mm-hmm. prior to my dad deciding he was going to make movies there had been a couple incidences the ford incident for yep. sure which was big and it had made the national newspapers and uh, and in fact I think it even had made international newspapers but it Drew reporters from all over and it became kind of this sensation. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing about the falcon monster long before I knew my dad was going to be making a movie about it. So so what was
0: interesting to me about that as a kid, I was a smart little kid who was already obsessed with wildlife. And I was like, you know, you heard about like the Bigfoot thing in my mind, that was like in Washington, Oregon, California, but I broke out a map and went, Hey, that's just across the border from Texas. Yeah. Maybe they're here, you know? So it was like, it brought it to a different part of the country. And, you know, the, you know, the, the, the video footage of the swamps and, you know, seeing the beaver swim across the water and all this great stuff just made that something that really stuck in your mind. And it's, I find it interesting that your dad kind of responded to the market. That's a very advertising guy thing to do. Like, hold on a second. These kids got Falcon Monster shirts on. Something's going on here.
3: Yeah, all the way on Sunset Boulevard,
0: you know. <laughs> that's wild. I mean, that's absolutely wild. So he gets so, a camera and he goes down to Falcon starts talking to people, right?
3: I remember Sunday evenings watching Marlon Perkins wild. Oh, yes. Game. Yep. Mutual of Omaha. Mm-hmm. And it was connected to the Disney, you know, wild. And mm-hmm. Walt Disney would actually come out and make a little, you know, intro and everything. And they would mm-hmm. be these shows on this wildlife. And it, my dad kind of took that idea mm-hmm. and adapts it to this lore that's been going on for a while and these, mm-hmm. you know, recounting these sightings. And he but he changes it instead of, you know, the the big game, African mm-hmm. game. He makes it this Arkansas Bigfoot-type creature. Sure. So it had, it, it's credited with being the first docudrama. Technically, it was released as a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, if you uh, adjust the earnings for inflation and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. it is the highest-grossing documentary of all time. Wow. So, that's when people say, well, What do you do? And it's like, Well, I have this movie, you know, because I, uh-huh. I live in New Hampshire now, but they, uh, and I say, I have a G rated docudrama about Bigfoot, you know?
0: Uh-huh.
3: So um, that's kind of the easiest way to describe it. But
0: yeah, cause especially I can see someone like a New Hampshire that has no idea about this. You got a what on what, you know? <laughs>
3: sure. Well, and my dad though was very, so here's the other thing. So he had his ad agency, but he also worked for KTAL, which was the NBC affiliate. Mm -hmm. He worked the news. He was the, he worked his way up. Like he started at the bottom and he works Mm -hmm. his way up, but he becomes the director and stuff. So he was very cognizant of what was going on in the news. And so to have these, you know, sightings and it be, you know garnering news attention later on When you know so i but i watched the movie a lot for technical reasons sure. as I'm storing it and all of that but mm-hmm. i was watching the scene the other day in the bean field when it says national you know news oh, yeah. coverage comes in and and it's we're down in willie Smith's bean field that's actually uh Dobbs dobson james dobson no um Anyway, but anyway, that was the news reporter, the actual guy that was in the field because they had been reporting this.
0: See you that know? that that's really cool that it goes like the, you know, that level of you now, cause this has been going on for a while, but it was a phenomenon still going on. He's kind of capturing as it's happening, you know, almost. Right. And to me, that's really that's really interesting. It's funny because at a young age, you know, you know, back in the day, other than like maybe George Lucas or Steven Spielberg, you didn't know what a director looked like. Right. But I saw The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which your dad also did, and I knew who your dad was by reading the credits. Oh, he plays the deputy. That's Charles Pierce. That's the Boggy Creek guy, you know?
3: <laughs> now, let me say this, too. So so he's got his job as the director of the news, and he's uh-huh. got his job as, you know, an advertising Agency uh, director, but he also had a kids' show called. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his personality was called Mayor Chuckles, and his TV show was called The Laugh A Lot Club. Huh. And it was an after school program that was on Monday through Friday, and all the kids my age watched it. So this is be- prior to Boggy Creek. Mm-hmm. So when. Like it would be the first day of school or I would go to the you know, a birthday party and people would say, is it true that your dad is mere chuckles, you know? So then when he makes the movie and it's a sensation right out of the gate, pretty mm-hmm. much. It was, it was, it was insanity from the minute that he showed it. um, And so, People would, you know, I mean, he started making the news and everything. And people would say, that's Mayor Chuckles that made that movie. Oh, wow. And they had seen him on television for all that time after school. So then when he would show up somewhere, they'd say, there he is. There's Charles B. Pierce. So he was recognized as a director even before he appeared at Sparkplug. Wow. know
0: wow that's that's a neat story you know and you think about that like the impact that that had on the little kids before we go into the part about you know this amazing release celebrating the 50th anniversary of legend of boggy creek we have a, a dear mutual friend lyle blackburn and lyle has written the most awesome books ever on the boggy creek phenomenon felt monster and me and him have had several conversations about how that movie was just one of those things that just had a unbelievable impact on our life that so we're still talking about this stuff, you know, 50 years later. Sure. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible that that all your dad's history with all that. So Legend of Boggy Creek comes out, it's doing great business and probably get, it probably got played in how long do you think this thing got played in drive-ins?
3: So first, so it's known kind of as a drive-in movie, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it actually, it was released in, uh, first run theaters at first,
2: mm-hmm.
3: so um, it it made that run before it ever went to the drive-ins. But between seventy-two and seventy-five, when it was put away, mm-hmm. it played pretty much non-stop. Wow! There were about six hundred and fifty prints, and I don't think they ever went back. They were always, you know, in rotation somewhere.
0: Ah, incredible told, stuff.
3: Yeah, they told me that. In some places, it was held over for a year. It was common for it to be held over, uh, like it would say in the newspaper, you know, in the the ads. Held over for the sixth big week or, you know, whatever. Wow.
0: Oh, that's great. Now, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Legend of Boggy Creek. And when I was a kid, I saw the little clip I told you about on cable television. Uh And then I got a VHS in like the late 80s of it. Uh, and it was real dim looking and, you know, but it, to me, that kind of almost added to the atmosphere, but you have a transfer of this coming out in 4k and something is probably most of us have never seen Legend of Boggy Creek look like this.
3: Oh, it is amazing. It is mm-hmm. so phenomenal. If you are a fan of Boggy Creek at mm-hmm. all, mm-hmm. You owe it to yourself to see it. This is the way that it was created in the beginning when my dad made it and literally made it a blockbuster in the theaters. The reason it was held over, you know, for so many weeks. And it emerged you into, into the film this way, with Mm -hmm. the wide angle like that. But during those years, if you saw it on television, you saw it with the pan and scan copy. Mm -hmm. basically just a thumbnail of what had once appeared on the screen. Uh-huh. So it was super important for me to put that back. A lot wow. of people would say, oh, it's got that cheesy factor and stuff. And it is a, you know, a, it's a independent film. It's a low budget film. There's no doubt about that. But the cheesiness factor was, a lot of that bootleg pan and scan had contributed to that. And now that it's restored, you see the cinematography, the way that my dad had, you know, filmed it. It's, it's enveloping. It's, it was lauded for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, beginning. That was, you know, a huge part of it, that it was just simply a beautiful film to watch. So to see all that back is wonderful. You see things that. You did not see ever before. Um, not only because it literally wasn't there because of the pan and scan, mm-hmm. but other things because it was so, as you said, washed out. Uh, it had gone pretty much to a grayscale color.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, and the sound was so bad. And I don't know if that's because I've gotten older and went to lots of concerts and my hearing is bad. <laughs> Or if it just, I mean, I think it was probably both. So it was super important that I restored the sound along with the the visuals. And you wouldn't think so, but it didn't up costing me as much to redo the sound as the visuals.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm excited about that because, you know, you mentioned, you know, Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I think the last major interview that Jim Fowler from Wild Kingdom ever did was on this program. Oh,
2: uh, very yeah, nice.
0: I have to yeah. send you a link to that. I was about almost cried when it answered the phone and that big booming Jim Fowler voice was on. I'm like, oh my god, I'm interviewing the man. Oh, but okay. um, I thought always thought that that kind of had the same feel as like you know, um, you know those Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom. It That's made it. you feel good about nature, you know, and it's an adventure. We're going out there. Then he put the twist in it, you know. But he always travels the creeks exactly. and all that stuff. That appealed to the little yeah. monster movie fan of me, you know. Um so the it's coming out. Uh what is the release date, the projected release date?
3: So technically it was tomorrow, the 30th, but they're telling me that we have a slight delay with the printing of the mm-hmm. O card, and they're telling me that now it is on the 11th. Um I'm pushing them. We're like we we've gone to Technicolor to press the disc, mm-hmm. and they're doing us a little bit of a favor because this is a small run
2: mm-hmm.
3: or you know compared to what they do and stuff so but anyway uh so it's between tomorrow and the 11th but uh they're on their way and they're the disc have been you know manufactured i think everything is is ready to go except for this o card slip cover so and, and uh, I,
0: I are there going to be any extras on it
3: there are, so our buddy Lyle
0: mm-hmm.
3: has uh, done a commentary for us and nobody better to do it really. And yeah, then, sure. uh, and then we have Justin Beam from Reverend Entertainment has done a kind of a little bonus feature with our outtakes, mm-hmm. original outtakes. So, oh, wow, yeah, we found those in like 20 I don't know, 19, whenever it was, they, Mm -hmm. we, they were actually at Mr. Um, So we found those and then he took the Jaime Mendoza Nava score and then rearranged it. So it's really, it's really good. It made me cry when I first (laughs) saw it. And actually it made a couple of my kids cry too, who are adults. So I don't know if it's just because we're very close to it, but it's very touching. And so I don't want to break any, look, I don't want to tell, give anything away, but after people see it, then I want to talk about it because um, there's some really good stuff in there.
0: No, that's very exciting as a mega fan of this and um, that having a, you know, a gigantic impact on my life and so many people. What's interesting though, is Pam, you are not, you're now as a steward of your father's work now taking this to an completely different generation. And I know it will have a mega impact on a lot of the kids and families and people now.
3: It's so exciting, Chester. It's as you know, it's a G-rated film. And
0: mm-hmm.
3: watch it with, you know, your children, your mom, your, you know, whoever, and you're not going to get embarrassed. And not only are you watching it, but it actually sparks conversations like is this thing real do you think that you Mm -hmm. know like you know just all kinds of stuff and as you know it is it changed people's lives I mean people Mm -hmm. they think about it for a long time I mean I get letters every single day or you know notes you know on messages and Mm -hmm. they they tell me where they were and who they were with and what theater they were at and what it's meant to them and that they've never forgotten it that is so impactful there's so few films that do that so it's been such an honor really and truly a privilege to do it and um and to have it back like this yeah and just really really beautiful the way that it is mm-hmm. um i i was saying to my husband the other day i said i don't I, I wish that somehow my dad would could know this or would mm-hmm. know this that that it's that this is happening. So and it really does. I mean, the 4K feels like Chester that you can just reach out and touch the swamp.
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah. great because I always got the idea that that's what your dad was trying to make because I felt like I was part of it as I was watching it as a yeah. kid. You know, I mean. And that's great that you can go in there and even have it better than people have ever seen this thing since it was certainly, at least since it was originally filmed yeah. and they're going to have a release coming out. So you are the proprietor of legend of right? Yes, sir. And let me and
3: say so- this, let me say this back to the soundtrack real quick. Mm-hmm. We did add the 5.1 surround sound option to give you kind of, so you can have the original experience with the monotone, but we wanted to give you kind of that rumble because my dad really did stress sound
2: mm-hmm.
3: as part of the entire experience. So it was super important to restore all that, as I said, because we can't hear as well. And we do have closed captioning as too. So
0: Well, we get to hear the ballad of Travis Crabtree at full volume yes. now. So uh, yeah yeah funny funny thing about that i spoke at the uh Falk monster festival that craig Woolheater puts on uh last year for my dark outdoors media project and uh it was in the falc middle school and the first thing the speakers were doing were looking on the wall all these pictures of former students and they found travis crabtree <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so think about that that stuff uh-huh. still lingers on people can go to com for more info what about social media where can they find you on social
3: so we have Legend of, Boggy Cro- uh, mm-hmm. oh, no, Legend of Boggy Creek on Instagram and mm-hmm. Facebook, mostly on Facebook is I put this stuff more, but so you can always reach us through there. I try to post something, you know, every few days mm-hmm. um, as, as uh, you know, too. So I do have posters coming back into stop to mm-hmm. the Ralph McQuarrie poster, which now we've had, a UV coating put on it so mm-hmm. we're trying to really you know up upscale kind of all the products
0: oh it's it's amazing that such an iconic you know image and it's burned into so many of our brains and now it'll be out there for everyone and I want to I want to honor you here we uh through our wild wishes program that me and my wife do we have a Bigfoot loving family coming in for an expedition I have some kids that have been adopted out of foster and have been through a lot And, um, they're big fans of Boggy Creek and you sent them something signed for them. And that that's going to mean a lot to them. And I'm recording this here on a Wednesday, but I mean, Tuesday, but that's actually going to be here in a few days. And thank you very much for doing that and, um, help them put a smile on some awesome young people's faces.
3: Well, thank you, Chester, for doing that for those kids. I I know that it's going to make a big difference in their life. And I remember when I first started working on this project and I came home and, I was there around the time Craig was doing one of his conferences, I think. And you were there with a,
2: mm-hmm.
3: we didn't meet at that time. I saw mm-hmm. you from afar. We were actually at the landing, I think, at Boggy Creek. But they said to me, that's Chester Moore. And he,
2: mm. he
3: does these, you know, Bigfoot kind of expeditions for children that, you know. Didn't oh, wow. So, yeah. Thank you.
0: Oh wow that that touches that's that's awesome you know um I appreciate that so maybe we can help some more kids down there in the future but before I let you go I have to ask you what is your favorite scene in Legend of Boggy Creek
3: Oh gosh it's kind of like asking me which I know which <laughs> So I mean so my scene in the movie is probably not the most exciting but I'm in the film. I run in and say, Grandpa, Grandpa, we saw him. We saw the monster." That is my real mother in the scene. And then oh, we wow. pull, we pull her out into the field and we said, come see it. You got to see it. And then it's my mother yelling, don't run, don't run. He'll get you. Uh-huh. So that's my real mother because she left Earth in 2010. Mm-hmm. So And I miss her so much. I adored my mother. I love my dad too, but I, my mother just was my mother you know anyway <laughs> so that's very fun to have that my very other much. part that i love is i love when my dad sings uh lonely cry that's my dad singing lonely cry really song.
0: i did not know that
3: yep so that's always very soothing to hear your father. Sing. i mean oh, uh... it's a great song for that as well you know
0: Wow, that's really cool. My favorite scene is still the one where the girls are being ter- terrorized in the trailer. Yeah. Uh, that always scared me, and I always love the intro with the little boys. There's a little, there's a wild man there in the woods by the creek. Yeah, the creek. And true story, I had a Bigfoot song when I was in my metal band, Freak Thirteen, back in the day called "The Calling." And yeah. when we would play that open on stage, I took an audio file off the then uh, VHS of that and that's what started our show.
3: <laughs> yeah. The little brother that little boy running across with the blonde hair is my little brother. Really? In real life. Yeah. So it was definitely a family affair. Not only did he take the actual you know people mm-hmm. that had had the encounters. Yep. But he also you know, it was low budget. <laughs>
0: hey, you got to do what you got to do, but it yes, certainly there weren't a
3: lot of paid, you know, performers in that one.
0: Before the Blair Witch Project, there was a Legend of Boggy Creek.
3: Legend of Boggy Creek,
0: so. and it's something that that really is. It's been a very special program for me, and I thank you for your friendship and for keeping your dad's amazing legacy of a, of a G-rated family fun, but still spooky awesome nature documentary dark drama whatever you want to call it out there and for more information you can follow legend boggy creek on facebook and instagram legendboggycreek.com well pamela thank you so much for being on the program
3: thank you chester
0: if you would like to share your dark outdoor story email chester at chestermoore.com. if you would like a pdf file of my personal survival tips put survival in the subject line Read my wildlife writings and follow my Higher Calling Wildlife and Higher Calling Gulf Coast podcast at highercalling.net. Remember, never enter the wild without prayer and preparation.